listening to Food Trucks in Babylon, a Western Seminary podcast. Join Dr. Todd Miles and Dr. Andrew Pack as they talk about theology, culture, and ministry in a post-Christian context. Hey, this is Todd Miles. I am here with Andrew Pack, and our guest today is Dr. Jeremiah Peck. Hi there. He is Assistant Professor of Counseling here at Western Seminary. How long have you been at Western? Uh, I'm just finishing my first year here at okay, Western. Okay, jeez. Yes. <laughs> That's really fresh. I, I, I was thinking maybe two years. Uh, you're also pastor at Lexington Bible Fellowship in Kelso, Washington. Right. How long have you been... Uh, the, the pastor there. I've been there for five years. Five years, and 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 before that, you 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 were on pastoral staff at another church. Yeah, at a church in Battleground, Washington. I've been involved with uh, Christian Church Ministry since two thousand five. Uh, just a couple of different churches. Great, good, and you are also clinical director at Ally Christian Counseling. Yeah. So you have like three full-time jobs. You know, they're not quite full-time, but uh, the the great thing about that, Todd, is the relatedness of the uh, various roles. Uh, So it's not so much that I'm doing three different things. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's a a tremendous amount of overlap between the things. So when we put the Venn diagram down, you're only two full-time jobs. Sure. Okay. So it's it's good that you are here. We're going to talk about pastoral burnout today, Um, which there's, it's, Feel, seems very fitting that we would talk to Indeed. someone <laughs> with with that kind of resume right now. Uh, so uh, b- before that, so I, I just I gave a little bit of of your uh, bio in terms of your jobs. Can tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm married. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 13 years. Uh, we have three children together, three daughters. So I am thoroughly outnumbered at home. <laughs> you are. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, such a joy, family life. And uh, I do have a, a PhD in counselor education supervision. And uh, part of my research in my uh, doctoral work was on pastoral burnout. Okay. So uh, some of the reason for our conversation today. Excellent. Good. Well, how do we start? Maybe just by defining terms. I've, I've heard a lot about pastoral burnout. I've, I've, maybe it's just my age because I'm, I'm more involved than I was ever before, it feels like. But... It seems like I hear more about pastoral burnout than I've heard, especially during COVID and, and after COVID. What what are we talking about, pastoral burnout? Yeah, and it, it's really helpful to define terms. You find the term burnout used a lot casually. Uh, if someone's stressed at work, if someone's stressed in ministry, they say, "I'm I'm burning out" or "I'm feeling burnt out." Mm-hmm. Uh, the the experience of burnout, at least how it's presented in the literature. Uh, mostly has to do with, uh, it's contributed to by the work of Christina Maslick and a few others, um, has to do with three main types of experiences. Uh, one is emotional exhaustion. Uh, the second is depersonalization. Uh, that's when an individual is uh, compartmentalizing their needs. There's a detachment from uh, recognizing their own humanity, their own personhood. They, they treat themselves less like a person okay. uh, and more of uh, prioritizing just the needs of others almost exclusively. What, what might that look like? Um, yeah, the, the depersonalization piece uh, is not giving themselves uh, even common graces of, uh, I need to take a break. Uh, I need to take a lunch. It's reasonable for me to take a day off. Uh, there's a, a phrase that's used, uh, it's exceptional thinking. They consider themselves the exception. Uh, uh, that is to say, I, I wouldn't tell anyone else to live their life this way without boundaries, mm-hmm. overworking, uh, not not eating okay. food, 
things of that nature. Uh, but but it's okay for me. Yeah, I'm the I exception. I can hack it. Mm-hmm. I can do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the third piece of that is diminished self-efficacy, which is their perception of their own effectiveness. They tend to think that they are increasingly ineffective at their role in ministry. Good. So I, I mentioned... Uh, it feels like I hear more about pastoral burnout. Again, COVID, I, it seems yeah. like we heard a lot about it. Then what is, is pastoral burnout, is that like a new thing? Um, it's not new. Uh, so the term burnout wasn't exclusively used or even initially used to describe people in ministry uh, and experience. Uh, the first time the term uh, we think was used uh, was about in the 1970s. A psychologist by the name of Herbert uh, Freudenberger uh, used the term and uh, mostly having to do with uh, various he- uh, helping professions, uh, first responders, uh, mental health counselors, psychologists, uh, law enforcement um, and uh, physicians, mental health uh, workers uh, sort of included in that. Um, it wasn't until oh, early 90s or so that there was a lot of literature saying, well, clergy or pastors uh, have a lot of these similar experiences as well, uh, given their involvement in a lot of these people helping roles uh, also, uh, you know, included in pastors and clergy, uh, a lot of literature would touch on the experience of chaplains as they uh, interact with first responders in various contexts. Uh, So the literature regarding burnout really expanded to include uh, the experience of uh, pastors and has just been developing ever since. In your opinion, uh, is is there more of it going on or are we just naming it something that has always been like a constant? Yeah, yeah. You know, we are certainly hearing about it more. I think even, you know, you referenced this earlier, Todd, uh, post-COVID. You know, we heard a lot about it during COVID. And it may be that it's getting more attention. Uh, We're we're tending to hear a lot more about things given the technology age and social media and information. Uh, We we hear more about uh, a variety of distresses, burnout included, where pastors were still experiencing this, but perhaps they were experiencing it in isolation. They were experiencing it in secret, uh, where things, you know, now are more exposed. There's more light uh, shined onto these difficult areas. What what have we learned about treating pastoral burnout? Or is is that even the right question to ask, treating pastoral burnout? Yeah, it's it's a good question. You know, when we look at something that is distressful, our minds often go to, well, what can we do? And there's, there's quite a bit of research uh, that looks at, you know, correlative factors. That is to say, here are the things that we think contribute to the occurrence of burnout. Here are the things that um, mitigate the experience of burnout. Uh, but the, the difficulty in conceptualizing burnout as just simply something that we can do things and prevent is it assumes that uh, if someone just follows a checklist, mm-hmm. if they just do all of the right things, then they can... Uh, almost guarantee that they won't get burned out. And the literature doesn't demonstrate that. Uh, Mm. You have folks who will still do seemingly all of the right things and they'll still experience burnout. It's not to say that there aren't helpful things, uh, things like proper self-care. You know, going back to the depersonalization piece, recalling the person's own uh, humanity, their own basic (laughs) needs. Uh, That's a tremendous part of burnout prevention. But you know, even with self-care, which is very much a, a function of doing, 
self-compassion is also a uh, tremendous component to burnout prevention. And that has more to do with being than doing. Uh, That's what someone, uh, you know, the pastor, what they say to themselves about themselves. Are they kind to themselves? Do they beat themselves up? Uh, I work with a lot of pastors, uh, oftentimes in a counseling context, who will say a phrase, and this may resonate with some of the uh, the listeners right now. Oh, I'm I'm my own worst critic, mm-hmm. and and that demonstrates a, a posture of poor self compassion when you are your greatest critic, you're your greatest mm-hmm. uh, uh, adversary, you know, so to speak, in that regard. Uh, so self compassion is a uh, is a tremendous factor. Uh, also, uh, what's referred to in literature as someone's uh, locus of evaluation, that is to say, are they evaluating themselves externally? They have an external locus. Uh, they they put their identity in what others say about them. Uh, or mm. uh, what tends to be more resilient or preventative against burnout is uh, folks who have an intrinsic or internal uh, locus of evaluation. Mm. Uh, their identity isn't based on church attendance or what other people think or the feedback they got on Monday morning about mm-hmm. Sunday's sermon, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, something that transcends uh, those external factors, maybe an internal sense of calling, identity, things of that nature. I mean, it's super important to think about the pastor and his own agency in this situation. How how do you think the church or, or external expectations, like mm. it doesn't feel like it's... I. I I resonate with everything you're saying. I'm like, wow, I, I know lots of people who need to, to hear these things and hear them clearly. Um, in terms of the preventative side, is there, are there, f- you know, sort of paradigms in ministry that are also contributing to this from the outside in on, on the pastor? So, so you mentioned like the, the Monday morning critique and the, you know, the, the rude email about, you know, mispronouncing a word or something that happens that, that really tear people up. But, but do you think there's a part of the way we view a pastor in modern in modern society that is also contributing to this, even as we think back historically, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's one of the dynamics where uh, we can observe this even culturally uh, in a more Western evangelical context. Uh, there's in some uh, church dynamics, a uh, consumerism model, uh, which inclines towards that external locus of evaluation. Uh, a pastor's performance is measured in, uh, certain performance metrics, uh, you know, how many new families have come to the church as a result of the the pastor's ministry? How many baptisms did you have this year? And and that consumer model, which is uh, uh, in some ways uh, rather unique to the contemporary Western evangelical church, uh, can can cultivate a uh, a culture which disposes the the pastor to adopting this external evaluation. Mm. It's interesting when we uh, differentiate between burnout and stress, mm. uh, lots of ministry roles are stressful, mm-hmm. uh, but this this internalization that happens specifically that's unique to burnout, it's why uh, missionaries or pastors in other contexts, uh, Eastern context or missionaries, uh, they may not experience burnout outside of that Western consumer mm-hmm. uh, model with our evangelical churches. So it, it's it's difficult to prevent. You you, you mention you know you, you could have a checklist of many things and, and be checking those boxes and still not going to make you, you know, immune to it. Um, what what can be done mm-hmm. then? Yeah, um, a, a lot can be done. Um, you know, like I mentioned, you know, self care is mm-hmm. is important. So the the checklist isn't. Uh, 
isn't worthless, so to speak, yeah. uh, but doing some basic things. Uh, but what I also find is uh, it's the attitude by which someone mm. does those things. If they take care of themselves, um, you know, even with just an attitude of, oh, I need to get these things out of the way, uh, without a, a sincere value um, yeah. of attending to themselves, that's where going through the motions and treating the self-care like a checklist hmm. uh, really diminishes the, the okay. effectiveness of that. Okay, so you need to buy in, not, not just rotely do it. Yeah, not okay. go through the motions. Okay. Not just one more ministry task because that's what pastors do. Yeah. And, and that's often the case, uh, even with you know pastors taking time off or a day off during the week or uh, I see a lot of pastors who uh, prior, you know, they say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling burned out, so I'm just going to take a vacation or take a sabbatical even. And the belief is I'm going to check this box. I took my sabbatical I can say I took a sabbatical, so now the expectation is I'll be fine. I won't be burned out. But they didn't uh, sincerely invest in their care and wellness mm. during whatever period of time off that is, even if it is just a weekly day off. Yeah. Yeah, I knew a guy who was so like high-strung with ministry stuff that he took that sabbatical that you're talking about because it was what he needed to do so he could keep in ministry. He remodeled his entire house. And I'm like, oh, was that really relaxing for you? He's like, no, I hate remodels. I just had to do something. And I'm like, I don't know if that was a sabbatical, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so are are people self-aware when they're in in burnout? Mm. I, I like is it the kind of thing we go, wow, I feel like I'm starting to get burnt out. Mm. Or do you just how does it present itself? Yeah, absolutely. What does pastoral burnout look like? Sure. To start? Sure. Um, there are there are a variety of features, and uh, some of this for pastoral burnout is, has some overlap with burnout in general. Uh, so when we look at literature that mm. describes burnout for other helping professions, uh, but some of it is unique to uh, mm. Christian ministry context. Uh, so some of those features uh, include the pastor who's beginning to experience burnout having a tendency towards uh, internalizing uh, or over-identifying with uh, the results of their ministry, you know, something happens, it's because of them or in spite of them. Mm. Uh, they tend to take things personally, personally yeah. is the other way of saying that. Um, also, there's a, uh, and this is not, this is not a personality piece. You know, some people describe themselves as, well, I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert, regardless of if someone's an introvert or extrovert. Uh, the pastor who's beginning to experience burnout will relationally isolate themselves. You know, even the introvert will have uh, ways of socially recharging, whether that's with mm-hmm. the, the one person or their spouse or, or you know, one trusted mentor or friend. Uh, the relational isolation is really withdrawing from those intimate relationships, uh, having a, a superficial uh, level of those relationships where they uh, just isolate themselves. Uh, another piece is uh, emotional exhaustion. Uh, this can look like compassion fatigue where uh, they sit with folks, whether it's in uh, lay counseling contexts or uh, they hear about uh, really tremendously uh, grievous things that uh, folks in their congregation are are going through. And they experience the uh, exhaustion, the tiredness, the the fatigue of expending the emotional compassion uh, towards other people. So, so it's 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 not that they have no affect, it, but they're just exhausted. Yeah. By it? Is that? Yeah, and it's it's an exhaustion that's different than 
I guess, tired physical tiredness. Mm-hmm. You know, it isn't just as though I can I can get a full eight hours of sleep tonight mm-hmm. and have the same, you know, have an increased capacity tomorrow. They're going to come back tomorrow and still feel as emotionally exhausted. And that's something that's unique about uh, burnout with uh, various helping professions mm-hmm. is we talk about the emotional taxation specifically of being involved with such high stakes uh, situations. Uh, you know, this is true for first responders. This is true for physicians, you know, in situations where uh, lives are at stake, you know, lives are on the line. Uh, in ministry, you know, if you have that eternal perspective, uh, you could say in a spiritual sense, well, certainly uh, there's there's uh, massive implications uh, with most things the pastor's involved with. Uh, but they're also a a first responder of sorts, because if someone in their congregation comes to them for uh, pastoral care, they're going through a crisis, they may be coming to their pastor as that first response before the pastor could even uh, refer to, say, a mental health oh, yeah. counselor mm-hmm. or someone in that mm-hmm. regard. Yeah, I, I remember taking my my one counseling class <laughs> in my MDiv program, and and the, the the professor told all of the uh, the, the MDiv students. I just want to give you some survival skills because you're going to do more counseling mm-hmm. in terms of just sheer number of counseling contacts with people than than licensed counselors will will mm-hmm. do because yeah. because you're going to be the first person they go to every yeah. time and so you've got to know when you're in over your head you've got to know how to refer yep. and then I think she said something like and I want to give you some basic listening skills so you don't just screw the whole thing up basically yeah so you don't totally drown i i guess i yeah tread water yeah Yeah. often when i uh, talk with pastors about uh mental health training and it's not you know it's not that every pastor needs to be a licensed professional counselor by any means um you know maybe most pastors shouldn't be uh, full-time licensed professional counselors Uh, but i often talk to pastors about how to recognize uh, how to initially respond and how to refer uh, mm. based on those counseling okay. pieces. But those those uh, three so are the preacher in you. You, got, you, yeah. you alliterated yeah. it nicely. That there. might be a topic for another podcast. Okay, let's do it. That that would be great. Uh, could we come back to this idea of of uh, emotional exhaustion for just a second? Yeah. So if you can't sleep it off, you can't vacation it off necessarily. What again? Not to make a to do checklist, but what do you? I mean, what if someone's listening right now? And they're like, "That's me. What do I do?" You yeah. know. You know, the, the, the piece uh, pertaining to emotional exhaustion uh, oftentimes uh, matters that are relationally uh, uh, stressful, have relational healing. Uh, it's why there's a, a benefit in someone to go talk to a counselor. And, mm. you know, you, you kind of hear the objections to that when you say things like, well, what's a counselor going to say or do that's going to change my situation? And the reality is for most people that expressing... Uh, can be emotionally cathartic. There's a, mm. there's a release of of uh, sharing sharing a burden, sharing a load. Uh, you know, I think of bearing one another's burdens. So when the pastor goes to a counselor, even if the counselor doesn't change the pastor's situation, he can't speak into the the church dynamic and say like, well, here's how the church ought to function instead mm. as a counselor. You know, um, but just having a space where the pastor can. Uh, offload and process and express uh, that can provide the uh, emotional relief that hmm. alleviates the pressure of exhaustion. There are folks that perhaps you know the idea of talking to a counselor may seem ex- or may sound exhausting in itself. And there are, there are other avenues. Um, you know, someone's the 
the robustness of someone's prayer life, uh, mm. if they're sincerely uh, contemplative in their prayer, reflective, and uh, you know, I, I know pastors who journal as mm-hmm. part of their prayer life and express lament before the Lord. Uh, those more reflective practices, mm-hmm. even spiritual disciplines, uh, can be somewhat alleviating for that emotional mm-hmm. exhaustion as well. Which is interesting because I don't know about how you all feel about this, but I feel like even as a pastor, when I would go to fellow pastors, because I'd go to people outside of my context to be like, I can get something off my chest. They don't know the people in my church, but I'm hurting over something. They would immediately switch to fix it mode and was very unhelpful to immediately Mm -hmm. go to like, well, these are the three things you should do. And you're like, well, I'm not going to do anything about it. I just need to talk to somebody. I just need to like say this was lame. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and how many of us, you know, in the opposite, you go to a good friend, it doesn't have to be a counselor necessarily. Mm-hmm. And if the good friend has simply listened to you, you say something to the effect of, Hey, thanks. That really helped. Yeah. Because it made mm-hmm. you, it made you feel better. You, you alleviated mm-hmm. some emotional pressure and load. So mm-hmm. I, I keep thinking about where theology intersects with this, mm-hmm. not necessarily that, you know, read this chapter of Calvin and it'll all go away. Yeah. But, but just that self-awareness, um, I mean, everything that you are, that you're talking about here in terms of um, internalization over identification, right? Um, having the right theology mm-hmm. isn't necessarily going to take that pressure off, but it, but, but it will resonate with it. You, you know, so a, a person who, who is, who is internalizing and over identifying probably knows in their heart of hearts, look, it, it is a work of the spirit. I am just being used of the Lord. It is not ultimately dependent upon me. Mm-hmm. God is the self-sufficient one, but it's still really hard because you're the one getting up on Sunday morning and preaching. You're the one who is, you know, yeah. with that grieving parent and you're the one who the spirit of God is using, but the words are coming out of your mouth. Did you say the right thing mm-hmm. or not? But, but, but still there's that reality, right? It, it, it is a work of the spirit of God, um, it, it, right? Uh, God is the one who gives the growth, not, not us. And, and, and then I'm thinking about just the uh, emotional exhaustion. That, that's, mm-hmm. how, that's how God has created us. We are material and immaterial beings that, you know, there's this integrated reality of who we are and emotions count. We, we know that theologically, right? We, we, that's part of our good anthropology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Purportedly, uh, Spurgeon, when he would go up the steps, before he'd preach, every step he'd say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And there really are, you know, theological implications to even that uh, emotional expression Mm -hmm. piece. Uh, You know, similarly, when we shared about, you know, talking to a good friend and feeling Mm -hmm. better, uh, you know, it it is to say God has designed us for expression. Mm. I think one of the challenges of even the uh, Western evangelical culture that we've uh, that we've cultivated is how our spiritual disciplines are, uh, you know, disciplines like prayer uh, are often done in silence in our minds. Mm. I don't mean like meditative silence, but you know, when someone says, "Oh, I, I, you know, I prayed for you in my thoughts," and some of the rationale and justification there is, "Well, God knows my thoughts," mm-hmm. you know, or mm. the Romans eight, you know, the when I have no words, the Holy Spirit, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, intercedes, yes. you know, those pieces, but. You know, what we see a biblical precedence for instead is when folks pray genuinely interacting with mm-hmm. God, they were expressing, mm-hmm. you know, you go back to lament, you go mm-hmm. back to these spiritual practices and it's as though God has designed prayer uh, in such a way because of course he knows how we were designed sure. mm-hmm. as yeah. needing that expression to heal through expression. Yeah. And when mm-hmm. we glorify the 
the silent prayer request, the unspoken prayer request, we may not be getting the full psychological benefit that God has designed mm, in prayer through expression. Yeah. Which is what confession is, right? Yeah. Uh, um, homologeo, say the same thing. Mm. So, I mean, God doesn't need to, we're not informing him, but what we're doing is we're saying the same thing about the situation yes. mm-hmm. that, that God knows and understands. And that, and, and that is, it's, it's not just a good idea, it's not just wise, it's, it's like literally commanded, right, yep. in scripture. Um, so you, you talked about uh, internalization and over-identification, uh, emotional exhaustion. So we're, we're thinking about what pastoral burnout looks like. Yeah. Anything else that... Yeah, the, the other piece was the, the relational isolation mm-hmm. that was also okay. there as well. Uh, there's also this sense where uh, when a pastor is experiencing burnout, they begin to conceptualize themselves or their ministry as a failing, mm-hmm. uh, like a spiritual failure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, God is mad at me or God is, has left me. He's no longer calling oh, me to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's why when we have uh, a, a felt experience of calling and we associate our our ministry with that calling mm. pastors leave the ministry often citing the phrase, I don't feel called anymore mm-hmm. uh, because they may be starting to conceptualize performance and uh, failing in that performance uh, okay. with their call. I always thought it was interesting when, when you'd be at the, like the church planner conference and we'd sing from Isaiah, you know, whom shall I send? And everyone's like, raising their hands and crying, send me to plant the mega church. And you're like, have you read Isaiah? Cause yeah. it's actually different. And, and that's, doesn't mean God was gone. Yeah. That, that, that call to ministry of Isaiah was uh, <laughs> preach and they will not listen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Sign yeah. me up. That yeah. sounds great. I can do that for like five minutes maybe yeah. before I get frustrated. Good. Um, so how, how might a pastor recognize these, so let's talk. So I, I want to ask two questions. The first one, how might a pastor just be self-aware and recognize these things mm-hmm. in, in, in himself? Um, and then the next question, how can a congregation recognize that in their pastor if, if the self-awareness isn't there? So let's start with the pastor. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, regarding these internal experiences generally, and while there are exceptions of folks that uh, are more self-aware than others, uh, the danger is if you consider yourself aware, if you consider yourself self-aware, that may be inaccurate as a self-perception. Uh, so, <laughs> so some of this is also the willingness for that pastor to look outside of mm, of themselves. Okay. Uh, you know, if they're married, uh, to to check in with their spouse mm. and to really receive feedback of how the spouse is experiencing them. Uh, if they're in a, a a church context, a polity where there's uh, elders that uh, serve as an accountability piece, uh, you know, asking uh, the the church elders or other trusted people to speak into the the pastor's life and to really receive uh, their observations of yeah, you've seemed uh, more frustrated, you've mm. seemed more impatient, you've mm. seemed tired, you've seemed detached, uh, and to really listen for those mm-hmm. uh, those key words. Uh, a, a way that a pastor might uh, self-reflect is to evaluate their capacity of differentiating themselves from their ministry role, mm. uh, to understand where you know where their pastoral uh, where their pastoral hat ends and where their personal life in Christ begins. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, that's sabbatical uh, when a pastor takes that extended period of time off and they find themselves restless. They don't know mm. what to do. That can be a sign that they've 
uh, enmeshed their identity. Mm. They can't mm. differentiate their self from their role. And they say, if I'm not a pastor, what am I? Mm. And, you know, even, you know, even spiritually, there's a, there's an absence of that felt experience of whether or not I'm a pastor, I'm still a child of God. And here's, yeah. here's what that means. So the moment, you know, someone starts to recognize I'm having a difficult time differentiating myself from my role, that can be a measure of self-evaluation. Yeah. Uh, in that self-evaluation, uh, you know, I've, I've had the, op- the opportunity, <laughs> the, the situation where I've, you know, I've walked with a number of individuals who are, who are at burnout, who are at walking away from ministry, who are at the end of the rope, so to speak. Uh, are there kind of early warning signs that could, you know, help before we get to that sabbatical where we're restless, but, you know, and I know this takes that self-awareness you're talking about, but, but you know, basic early warning signs that may be helpful to, to folks hearing this who might be thinking, oh, I have a friend who's going through that, but actually maybe they themselves are to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. And it may be unique uh, person to person. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the early warning sign is recognizing differences, uh, recognizing differences in experience. You know, mm. when that person came to me, that felt different than it does hmm. before. Normally I'm very compassionate and I noticed I was more impatient with them or I lost my temper and that's uncharacteristic. The moment uh, people around the pastor start to say, you're not acting like yourself, mm. that ought to be that invitation. Mm-hmm. And I use the word invitation on purpose. Uh, some might say, oh, that's a warning sign. Well, warning signs, we say, stay away. Mm. You know, when you see a warning sign on the road, it's mm-hmm. do not enter. It, yeah. it gives us caution uh, I like to conceptualize these things more as invitations. Hmm. So when someone says, uh, hey, you're not acting yourself, that ought to invite our curiosity hmm. instead of us saying, oh, danger, I need to stay away from this scary thing. I yeah. need to explore this further. Yeah, that's really good. Without delving too much or asking you to reveal something that you ought not to, in, in your experience with the with the pastors who come to you seeking help, is it is it because someone else in their life told them, you need help or, or is, is that how it is most of the time? Or is it, is it where the pastor himself is, is tragically neither. Mm. Um, it's, it's okay. neither the, um, the I thought it was either or. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not so much just the, you know, the pastors recognized it or someone else had said something, mm. uh, you know, tragically most folks, you know, I'm thinking of a counseling context specifically yeah. what you're asking. Uh, they don't come because they're beginning to experience burnout. They come because they w- have been experiencing burnout oh. for years and it's mm. been unchecked and now they are burned out. And, and, and mm. they've like crashed. Yeah, they've crashed. Whether okay. it's they've okay. left the ministry, yeah. they're, they're on oh. leave, they've had a moral failing. Mm. Uh, you know, oftentimes in counseling, we regrettably, by the time someone comes to the counselor, we see the aftermath of burnout and not the the invitations to explore burnout uh, more in depth. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a bummer. <laughs> I'll just be honest. That yeah. really... Um, a little scary. Yeah, it is scary. Um, once someone's there, you know, or teetering on that edge, you know, you're, you're, they're in your office or, or whatnot. Um, and I know it's individual to individual. Like, what does a path forward look like in general? Like, if someone, like let's say someone's a pastor... They're a lead pastor. They're 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 at this point. They haven't had a moral fail per se, but things are not going well. the the uh, The invitation's a loud invitation at this point in time. Let's say, 
um, what what's next for them if they're going to stay in ministry? Hmm. Or is that even something that should be on the table, I guess? Yeah. And, you know, maybe the goal isn't I'm going to get healthy mm. to stay in ministry yeah. uh, because then it, it still deprioritizes health, yeah. uh, right? Yeah. You know, the, the goal, the attitude, the perception can be, I need to get healthy as an individual yeah. and I recognize in my health, I'm going to continue to be willing to be used by God in whatever capacity that mm. he has for me in mm. that place. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's sort of this matter of, of first things first, when you attend to your mental health or your relational well-being, you know, I'd, I'd say this, you know, about relationships too. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you attend to your marriage for the sake of something else, your marriage can seem like the secondary priority. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's a sincerity about prioritizing wellness and, and well-being. Uh, for that individual. So as a path forward, mm-hmm. uh, there might be some reframing mm-hmm. uh, for someone to say like, oh, I just need to get through this so that I can get back to the church. It's to say, well, how about we pause here? Yeah. And you really check in with yourself. Some of that might be uh, looking at their ministry uh, uh, experience, doing a timeline of what they've been through, uh, You know, helping folks uh, during this post-COVID uh, environment that we're in. Uh, having a lot of folks reflect on the emotional exhaustion that uh, they experience with the polarization of culture, uh, navigating COVID even within their congregations, uh, having people stop and and really consider how did that affect you? Mm. I, pastors can talk to, to at length about how it impacted their church, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I ask them how does it affect you, and they're speechless mm. until they begin to process it. Mm-hmm. So that that's often the place to start. Yeah, that, that was going to be my my follow up. Why was COVID so particularly difficult for mm. pastors? A lot of reasons. <laughs> oh goodness, uh, a, a lot of reasons. Uh, some of the more prevalent reasons. Uh, again, we talk about that polarization. It's not even a polarization between two options. You know, I'd have pastors and and myself included, uh, even in our uh, church context to an extent. Uh, you know, when you were making some of these really big decisions in leadership, it wasn't a decision of two options. There were nine different opinions about what mm. you did about any given yeah. situation. And if you chose one, you would alienate all other voices in the conversation. Uh, that that serves a great deal of, uh, of emotional pressure mm. and uh, the tendency of some pastors to internalize those expectations, to okay. internalize the the disappointment. Uh, the frustrations uh, that that increased the susceptibility to to burnout. Mm. So, um, why? Well, I've 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 kind of been begging the question here a little bit just by assuming that pastors have this thing called pastoral burnout, and and there's no equivalent to it in 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 other uh, occupations. Why are pastors so? susceptible to this thing, mm-hmm. not just because it's called pastoral burnout, because what else would you call it? But, but, but why are pastors susceptible to burnout? Yeah, absolutely. And, and pastors may be uniquely positioned to experience burnout, but burnout is not a phenomenon that's exclusive to mm-hmm. pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've made reference to, uh, you know, other people helping professions, whether first responders, healthcare workers, um, there's really a dynamic where when we begin to differentiate uh, vocational stress, mm-hmm. and most jobs can be stressful at times, from the phenomenon of burnout, 
Uh, burnout really has to do with the emotional and relational taxation of being in high stakes roles, uh, high stakes environments, uh, which is certainly true for healthcare workers, first responders, mm-hmm. as we've said. Uh, but pastors are still unique even among people helpers. Uh, because with with uh, first responders or other vocations, uh, you may have uh, a certain set of expectations. And while you don't know what any given day will look like in your context, uh, you have uh, a list of job functions mm. that you typically engage in, mm-hmm. uh, and it varies day to day. Uh, a pastor is so often multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're involved with uh, board meetings and then pastoral care and then preaching and mm-hmm. and oftentimes changing these hats. You're also on call. Uh, you know, oftentimes mm-hmm. uh, pastors don't don't punch a clock. They don't mm-hmm. uh, clock mm-hmm. in and out. So all of these factors are are stacked against uh, the pastor being able to care for themselves mm-hmm. as they care for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was uh, talking to a, a pastor friend of mine who uh, experienced some some health issues and that was determined to be stress related. He started looking at it, and he 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 sent me to this uh, to this one resource, um, a, a, a doctor by the name of Richard Deshawn, expert in job analysis. Uh, he evaluated the job of a local church pastor, and. Uh, here's his quote. He said, the breadth of tasks performed by local church pastors, coupled with the rapid switching between task clusters and roles in this position is unique. I have never encountered such a fast paced job with such varied and impactful responsibilities, which is, which is what you were saying just Uh, just now. And as a pastor, everything feels high stakes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's that idea that when everything's urgent, nothing's urgent, but Mm -hmm. in pastoral (laughs) ministry, it's as though everything is urgent. He is urgent, mm-hmm. which means that everything is urgent or, or, or it, yeah, it, it just feels that way. Yeah. Good. Um, so what might you say to uh, a, a, a congregant that their pastor is going to go on sabbatical and they're like, well, I, I've been working this nine to five job my whole life. I've never gotten a paid sabbatical before. Uh, I'm tired. I'm, I'm emotionally exhausted. Why does, why should we enable a sabbatical or time off or something. You know, what makes him so special? What What would you say to that to yeah. that individual? And, and I, I want to take a moment and just highlight, you know, the importance of your question is also part of the internalized experience of pastors. Mm-hmm. Pastors often recognize that the the average person in their congregation doesn't understand what they do during the week, uh, mm-hmm. so they internalize the expectation of. Oh, I bet most people think that I work one day a week, that I work on Sunday mornings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the the tendency to overperform mm. can can be coming from the idea of compensating for that perception. Mm. Okay. I want to to show that I'm putting in a lot of hours so that people don't think mm-hmm. I work one day a week, and then they can uh, overwork and uh, overperform yeah. in that. And that just exacerbates the whole sure. issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, for for that. For the congregant, the church member, attender that that is not aware of this, uh, it may sound like a, a simple uh, a suggestion or a simple point, uh, but I would mean this um, sort of in a multifaceted sense to genuinely pray for their pastor mm-hmm. and not just praying, you know, the prayers of supplication so that, you know, positive things happen for the pastor. Uh, but if the person is sincerely praying for the pastor, then I believe that there's power in that prayer, mm-hmm. but then God can also 
give the person who's praying, the mm-hmm. church member, an increased compassion for the person. Oh, you know, okay. I, I find that when when we genuinely pray for those that we say we're going to pray for, mm-hmm. and if we really commit to to prioritizing that prayer, God God softens our heart towards mm-hmm. those people when we actually commit to doing that. So if, if if church members were praying for their pastor, they would have a softened heart to them to say like, wow. I wonder what they're going through mm-hmm. and maybe I'm going to check in. Maybe my next email isn't going to be, Hey pastor, why did you make that decision? It's going to be pastor. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. And that, that tone uh, can make mm. a tremendous difference. What, um, what might you say to the pastor who's like, Hey, I, I get what you're saying and, and, and I can feel a lot of what you are describing. It, 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 I, 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 I can feel it in my own life right now, but that's just what I signed up for. When, when, mm-hmm. when, when the Lord told Paul, I'm going to teach you what it's like to suffer for my sake, that was just the call to pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to burn myself out for Christ brilliantly. It's a, it's a call to die to self and following Jesus, take up your cross. So this is just what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. What correction or encouragement might you, might you bring? Yeah. You know, burnout, the end of burnout has such dramatic consequences. Mm. Uh, so when we look at the uh, the rates, and it's not the same for everyone, but the rates of everything from on one hand leaving ministry to the ministry collapsing mm-hmm. uh, when it's over reliant on the overworking mm-hmm. pastor, mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's often a correlation between mm-hmm. those two things. The the pastor who does everything, the church becomes reliant on that person. Uh, so you know, burnout could mean the uh, the the closure of a church or closure mm-hmm. of a ministry burnout can also lead to uh, the collapse of that pastor's family, uh, mm-hmm. that pastor's marriage. Uh, in some cases, uh, burnout can also lead to, you know, that pastor, that person contemplating ending their own life, suicide, mm-hmm. self-harm, things of that nature. So when I frame in context that you're not just a, a spiritual martyr when you <laughs> okay, suffer yeah. for the Lord, but there are implications. There's harm that comes to other people, mm. harm that comes to your mm-hmm. church, your family, yourself. Mm-hmm. I question them and I push back there a bit to say, has God called you to contribute to the suffering of these people by mm-hmm. not caring for there yourself? You mm-hmm. Okay. That's a, yeah, that's great. That's helpful. Yeah. I think that's, you know, to me that becomes, as I've helped congregations, that's the number one sign to me that they're, that their pastor is, is headed towards burnout or at least is the way you're describing it. You know, there's a problem at least. And that's just a series of broken relationships based on like the emotional exhaustion and the isolation, all these other things. And it is, I mean, we, we want to care for those pastors well, but those, those pastors not caring for themselves are also going to, I, I think almost invariably damaged members. Yeah. Oftentimes the, uh, you know, the metaphors and the imagery tend to resonate with pastors. You know, it's the preacher in them. Uh, so one of the images that I've used, even when they say like, okay, well, I'm burning out, but isn't that supposed to be a spiritual thing? You know, the idea again of mm-hmm. suffering for the Lord. Uh, I'll just call to their recollection. And I recognize it's it's out of context and this isn't a, uh, uh, this isn't, you know, a accurate theological use of this imagery. Uh, but even looking at Moses in Exodus three with uh, God in the burning bush, the burning bush was burning, but not consumed. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes with burnout, you're consumed. Okay. So God is not calling you as a pastor to be completely consumed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even when you're burning for him mm-hmm. and there's that, uh, str- you know, the, the difficulties that come with ministry, uh, the, the sustaining that God ought to be, uh, that God is doing in your life and you ought to be partnering him with in your life ought to be as such that you can be burning 
and not consumed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just try to draw that parallel yeah. for pastors. When I think, I don't know, Todd, like when I, when I hear guys say things like that, usually if you're like, you have a look at their week, you're like, yeah, well, and Paul's spending how many hours in prayer and how many hours in scripture and with people you're like, you're burning out because you're busy with your church's like Facebook page and the compartmentalization. Mm. And, and I like kind of look at it and say, is, you know, you want to make this spiritual, but are you, I mean, a self-care all day long, but like, uh, are you even after the things that you're, the things that are like jacking, you know, messing with you? Like, are those even the things that we see in scripture for pastors? Like, you know, it's often something that crosses my mind. And, and you know, that context of suffering, I, I go, I, I keep going back to alluding to this idea of specifically the Western mm. contemporary evangelical church. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why in, in many other contexts, you know, missionaries, international missionaries in other contexts face different kinds of opposition, uh, sometimes have more stressful contexts, you know, in countries where uh, Christianity isn't welcome and they have to have an underground church and they're pastoring in that context, the the, the stakes are different mm-hmm. uh, and there's a, a great deal of mm-hmm. stress. But those pastors in those contexts are suffering in a way that's not resulting in burnout because mm-hmm. maybe they're not focused on updating the Facebook page. Yeah. Mm. Maybe they are focused on, you know, the, the, the spiritual disciplines and those long-term implications, yeah. but there's something about the, the consumer culture that we've mm-hmm. cultivated mm-hmm. Uh, that's really mm. contributing to this crisis. Mm. So my, my last question, you have a chance to talk to a congregation who says, we love our pastors. What you have just shared, it's very scary to us. What can we do? Because we don't want, because we don't want, our, our pastors to, to, to burn out. We, we don't want them to suffer like this. It's in their best interest. It's in our best interest. It's in mm-hmm. the kingdom's best interest. Uh, you, you mentioned praying. What, what else could a, could a congregation do? Yeah. Um, I, I think appealing to whatever the, uh, leadership system is there at the church, right? You know, if you're a person, you know, who, who attends a church, uh, finding out, Hey, you know, can I go talk to the elders about, how is the pastor doing? And not to not to criticize, certainly mm-hmm. not to say like, well, this is what I think, but mm-hmm. really ask and check in. Hey, what are the elders doing to mm-hmm. support our pastor? Mm-hmm. And maybe uh, you're introducing a new topic. Mm-hmm. Maybe the elder's going to go, oh, I'm not sure what we're doing. And it, it sparks a, con- a conversation, uh, you know, finding those ways. And it's going to vary, Todd, church to church mm-hmm. and dynamic to dynamic. Uh, but finding those ways. No, I'm looking to, for the magic bullet. Right, right. Sure. right. Uh, advocacy, right? You know, finding right. those ways specifically to advocate for your pastor, mm. uh, because you know exactly right. It, you know, scripture talks about uh, don't let those in leadership uh, lead. Uh, you know, uh, as as it's a burden to mm-hmm. them because it's not advantageous mm. to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you advocate and support uh, your pastor or those that God has has placed in those roles of leadership. Uh, it actually is better for the church. It's actually mm-hmm. better for you and your family uh, as you are members and participants mm-hmm. in that fellowship. Good. Was there anything that I should have asked about this? Um, you know, I I think there's one there's one piece that uh, we made brief reference to, okay. and that's this idea. Um, even we're circling back to this: the idea of the moral failures that mm-hmm. are sometimes associated with. The, the end of burnout, you know, someone has reached okay. the end of themselves mm. and now they've made compromising decisions. And I want to be careful to distinguish between those things. Uh, burnout doesn't always result mm-hmm. in moral compromise or moral mm-hmm. failure. 
Uh, however, when you consider the factors that we've discussed, relational isolation, emotional exhaustion, mm-hmm. it's when that person can be most vulnerable. Perhaps they're feeling lonely and they have impaired judgment because they're internalizing experiences. Mm-hmm. So they begin to justify behaviors and choices and actions, which outside of burnout would have seemed off the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They would have never considered this. But now in their vulnerable state, mm. it seems reasonable to them. They mm. justify mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a way that seems right to man, mm-hmm. right? You know, we see that. And uh, burnout can contribute to the occurrence mm. of those moral compromises. So there's a way that seems right to a man. And then there's a stupider way that seems right to a man who is burnt out. There we is go. That, is, that, yeah. is that kind of what you... That's the, the Todd Miles translation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least that. Good. Well, um, that's a hard word to, to end on, but but very important mm-hmm. for us as well. Thank you so yeah. much for, yeah. for yeah. chatting Thank with you. us. I, th- I think this has been very, very helpful. Very helpful. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Food Trucks in Babylon, a Western Seminary podcast. Music is provided by Cortland Urbano. If you want more information on Western Seminary, please go to westernseminary.edu.